Welcome, everybody, to the MT Cardcast. We're excited to be here with you today talking about music and technology. My name is Kevin, and I've got Anthony and Jensen here as well. We are all senior music therapy students at the University of Louisville. I'm actually a second degree senior. I've got a previous degree in computer information systems, and I worked in information technology for quite a while. Uh, but this discussion today around music and technology is, is far different from any technology that I have worked in before. Uh, so we're excited to be sharing these things with you. Uh, Anthony, Jensen, you want to introduce yourselves? I'm Anthony Terulo. I am also a second degree seeking student. And the topic of our discussion today really intrigues me because my previous degree is in music technology. So going through the discussion with Chris, and reading these articles has like kind of brought both of my worlds together. So I'm pretty excited. I'm really happy that I ended up with this topic with you all. I, it could have could have been a lot less intriguing on my end. Happy to be here. I'm Jensen Self. I am a senior music therapy student as well. This is my first degree. Um, I don't have much of a background in technology or music technology in general, but this is a topic that has interested me and I feel like to keep myself and my education relevant, this is something that I needed to be keeping up with. So it's a topic that I was really excited to delve into. Awesome. Well, we've got uh, several different themes that we've been discussing as we looked into uh, the different literature on, on music and technology. Um, one thing I've noticed is that uh, students in general may feel that, that technology is underrepresented in our curriculum. So it's, it's good for us to be uh, digging in on some of this and, and learning uh, some of the tools that are available to us. Um, we've talked about uh, the functions of technology uh, whether technology is being used as an assistive device versus the technology itself as an instrument. So we'll dive into that a little bit today. Uh, we've also talked about um, the, the culture that, that is tied to uh, technology. When, when technology is being used as an instrument, um, there could be a, a, very, uh, a lot of cultural implications uh, to that. And there's, there's history be behind a lot of these devices that, that are used in popular music today. Uh, then we've talked about the various populations that, um, uh, that we might use technology with and uh, some of the cultural uh, implications there. So we'll get into all those topics today. And maybe we can just start with a little bit of background on, on culture before we, before we start talking about devices. Um, and for me, this is this is kind of interesting because I've gotten into a, a practicum this semester uh, where we're doing a lot of rap and hip hop music, and it, it's been new for me. And, and I can't say that that I have a lot of uh, familiarity with uh, this music, uh, but it, it's been good to to open my eyes and and start to understand how we can recreate some of those sounds in a music therapy session. Um, so hip hop culture has its roots in New York in the, the 70s and early 80s. 
Um, this started uh, with DJ turntables in a home studio, oftentimes. Uh, DJs would play disco and funk records on two different turntables and then use the parts of those songs that they, that they liked and loop and extend those to, to create their own song. Uh, drum machines followed shortly after and then samplers and we'll talk about all those different devices here in a bit. Um, and then fast forward to now where all, all of these different sounds can essentially be created on your laptop or your, your iPad. You um, can even, Kevin, you can even create stuff on a smartphone now too. That's I true. Mean, there with the, there's like a garage band mobile app where you can, I think I was waiting for class one day and had a pair of headphones last year and was just like, oh, this is cool. I'm just gonna mess around in here. It has a lot of different things you can do for just being on your phone. That's true. And I really think that phones and iPads and technology in general have, have started to define um, really what music sounds like. And looking at figures of, of digital downloads and streaming, hip hop is the, the most popular genre in uh, the world. And mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine uh, popular music today without technology. And yeah, Kevin, um, I really liked what you said about the roots and history of music technology. I think that's something that's really important to acknowledge um, that a lot of what is in popular music today, what most of what's in popular music today and most of the things that we are using are rooted in African-American culture um, yeah, as far back as the 70s and 80s. And I think that's something that kind of gets lost a little bit and I think that it's really important that we acknowledge where the history and roots of what we're doing now come from. Yeah, and I, I think that has spawned so many um, different genres and subgenres. There's electro, house, dub, techno, uh, trance, so on. And, and I don't, again, I don't pretend to be an expert in any of these, but, but it's really fascinating to, um, to start to look at technology from that standpoint and understand how can we how can we be culturally um, I don't know if relevant is the word for, for our clients but but provide them the tools that um, uh, that they need to be able to create music that that matches their identity yeah Kevin I sometimes think it doesn't even it can hinge less when you're using technology in a therapeutic setting, it can hinge less on a musical experience and more of like a meaningful experience. Like it doesn't necessarily, when people think of the term musical, I don't think the term, the musicality level in the school of music needs to be the same as like say the musicality and a music therapy session. So it's like a huge broad term. And I think hip hop beat making culture and music technology has kind of been had like music therapists historically have kind of turned their back on music technology and beat making because they view it as a lower form of musicality. But I don't think that should even be an issue because at the end of the day, you're either able to create music with someone or you're not. So why would you care what level of musicality you're, you're using in a session? You know, that shouldn't be the issue. Yeah, I agree with that, Anthony. And I think that, um, in addition to that, since we've started embracing music technology a little bit more, um, we've come to realize how accessible it makes music to 
people who might not have had as much accessibility to acoustic instruments. And I think that's something that kind of got lost when um, we weren't really using music technology as much and still aren't using music technology. Like it's not as prevalent as acoustic instrument. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that's important about music technology as well is that it can provide music making opportunities to people who may not be um, able to use acoustic instruments for music therapy. What's your all's opinion on how many notes, syllables, or words a person has to sing or play for it to qualify as music therapy? <laughs> I know this is a little off topic, but I'm very curious. I've never thought about that question, but in some of the preparations I've been doing for sessions I'm going into, oftentimes it's one word or a, or a phrase that, that I'm putting with a beat, and then I'll I'll kind of sample that that phrase and um, add effects and kind of cut and paste it throughout a, um, a across a a loop track maybe. I agree. I th I think one note, like if you can in your first therapeutic session get someone who might otherwise not be able to play music, but you can utilize like a MIDI keyboard and get them to play one note that has more therapeutic value than them not doing it at all. So sure. why wouldn't you want to use technology to give someone that chance, you know? Yeah, definitely. I agree with both of you. I think that it doesn't necessarily depend on how many notes or syllables you can sing. I think that if music is accessible and therapeutic, then that that is what that is what qualifies it. <laughs> well, maybe let's talk about equipment just a little bit uh, before we talk about populations. Um, th there's a lot of older equipment that I, I think we should, should at least touch on because it's um, in, in understanding what, where some of the devices have come from, it helps us understand really the just the enormous amount of power that we have in our hands and our smartphones and in our, in our laptops. Uh, but technology with, with music goes back a lot, a long time before we had uh, access to the internet. Um, it, you know, DJs started with, with turntables. They, they basically had record players. Um, like I'm, I'm gonna date myself here, but like I used when I was a kid uh, to listen to music. Um, I've still got a record player, man. I do too. Yeah. And I can't say that I've ever um, used it in this way, but uh, that they were used for, for looping breaks uh, in songs. You'd put two turntables together and uh, have a mixer where you could control volume and effects and fade in and out and basically create a new song from other existing songs. That, that's kind of where some of this, this idea started. Um, it's not necessarily practical in a music therapy setting to carry in a mixer and a couple of turntables, but and, but again, and speakers and like, speakers. Yeah. But again, all that's wrapped into your laptop now. Uh, drum machines this, the same way. Um, uh, that that was a real game changer for uh, for electronic music to be to be able to take essentially the sixteen subdivisions of a measure and and layer drum sounds across each of those subdivided beats. Uh, to create your own drum beat. It, it, Anthony, this was essentially created to replace you, I think. Anthony's a drummer. And uh, 
the, the idea was we don't really need drummers. All, all we need is this drum machine. And, and thankfully that didn't take off, but, but the power that it did put in people's hands to, to create beats is, um, is amazing. And if you haven't tried it, uh, you can get on any digital audio workstation now and do the same thing, which I'm just now getting used to. Yeah, talking about like it was created to eliminate the drummer. Um, my ensemble this semester is completely digital. I'm in like the guitar jazz ensemble playing drums. And so we send each other tracks and like the professor will link them all up to be one unified song. And I've utilized numerous drum samples in our compositions. So while I think tech was kind of meant to eliminate the drummer, it's only enhanced the smart drummers. <laughs> You're one of those smart drummers, right, Anthony? As smart as you can be, I guess. There you go. Uh, the synthesizer was another one. Um, again, <laughs> being an 80s kid, the, uh, the synthesizer um, is in my head quite a bit, uh, but just the idea of electronically oscillating on a, on a note. Uh, some electrical engineer came up with this uh, first synthesizer, but uh, that's been taken and uh, expanded and stretched uh, in so many different ways. If you have a, uh, again, your laptop will do this now, but a synthesizer gives you really an unlimited variety of, of textures and timbers and just different sounds that a client could play with. And to me, this, this is a really, it's not quite an ORF approach, but it's a really exploratory approach to, to music therapy, just to, to sit down with a, with a synth or a keyboard or laptop and, and start exploring what, what are all the different effects I can do? What, what are, if I record my voice, what can I, what can I do to it through the keys? Can I, how can I play that back in a, in a unique way? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I was just going to say what I think about what I think is really cool about synthesizers, especially like ones that are accessible to most of us today through our devices, um, is that they've progressed so far that they can sound very realistic, like acoustic instruments. Um, and I think that is really interesting. And I think it is, excuse me. Um, I think that's really interesting for environments where that's necessary and appropriate, like in a hospital where you can't necessarily be carrying around all your acoustic instruments. So you have this one thing that you can use to create a whole different sound than um, you'd really be able to just by carrying like in your guitar or something. I think it's just interesting how far they have progressed in such a short time, really. I, I'm really intrigued at, once I get out into the field, I have this sampler, it's in storage, it's called a, an MPC sampler. And like a lot of really famous hip hop producers have used it. The most famous one was uh, like Jay Dilla or Kanye West was infamous for taking other people's samples and like chopping them up on this like 12 pad grid system. And I've always envisioned using that in a therapeutic setting as a sort of musical communication device for people who can't speak. I mean, you could sample, you could sample yourself speaking, you could sample different sounds that are associated with like different emotions 
Um, you could work on facial effect, or you could just like have it to be a drum sampler. Um, but I mean, I think samplers make it limitless. I mean, they don't necessarily know how to have to play a certain note. You could just have that note programmed on a button, really, you know? Um, I don't know. I think that scares people for some reason, but I think if you're familiar with like the technology, um, there's nothing to be afraid of. It won't bite you. <laughs> Anthony, is that the Akai MPC? Yes, the Akai MPC. It's like a 3,000 or 4,000. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've been looking at those myself. I don't have one. And I realized <laughs> you can spend several thousand dollars if you want, but. Mine what? is, mine's old school and you have to put like a floppy disk in it to like, that's like how it stores the sample information, I guess. So it's very old school. It looked like you can get a pretty good beginner um, sampler for, for about 150 bucks or less. Uh, yeah. that, that even includes built-in speakers, which which I thought would be really cool for sessions. Facebook Marketplace, man. You'll find them all over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I even saw some pads had, or some sampler pads had up to 64 different pads. So that's crazy. If you're talking about being intimidated about what to do with it, I mean, that, that, that could be overwhelming, but you don't, you can start with less. Like I think I've seen as few as four. Yeah, there's another pad system called Machine, I think. And it's like the one where there's like 32 pads or 64 pads as well. Um, but I think that's too many. I think if you can't get it done with 16 different pads, <laughs> you're doing something wrong. All right, can we talk about the heartbeat recording? Um, Kevin, so you did a couple weeks with... Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, at Norton. Who you? Brian Shrek. Brian Shrek. Did he utilize the heartbeat recording device when you were there with him? We didn't do an actual recording um, when I was there for practicum, but but he, I believe, was kind of the originator of this this concept that you record a patient's heartbeat and create a a legacy song. Mm. using their heartbeat, something that you can give to the family um, once the patient has passed on as, as a memory. And we did a couple different, different sessions using uh, the patient's heartbeat. We did one, um, the patient really liked uh, uh, Neil Young's Sugar Mountain. Mm. So Brian had recorded the heartbeat and then recorded just some acoustic uh, interpretations of that song over the patient's heartbeat. And then the patient was able to take a, a handheld device to just kind of hold that up to his face and, and listen. Uh, we, did a, we did another where the patient was no longer uh, responsive, but uh, we took some of his favorite songs and put, put the heartbeat across uh, just kind of in the background. Uh, Brian's really good. I didn't realize you can, you can manipulate the, the tempo and the, um, uh, I don't know, the dynamics and so forth, the, the frequencies to be able to kind of blend the heartbeat into an existing song. So that's what he did. And then gave the family uh, copies of that, of that recording. Going off of the sampler discussion we just had, you could use the, their heartbeat as an, their own instrument. I mean, sure. That'd be a crazy way to extend that, you know? 
Yeah, that that'd be interesting for the, for them to be able to do that themselves. Yeah, I mean, you could you could record them. I mean, if they're mobile, you could also record them clapping, snapping, stomping, and then next next thing you know, they're playing. It's like their own unique instrument. You know, I find that fascinating. I also think it's really, I think it's a really cool to do the kind of heartbeat recordings and then also um, just voice or sound recordings like you were talking about, Anthony, because um, it can give your clients or patients a sense of accomplishment that they may not be feeling currently and maybe didn't think that they'd be, didn't think that was something they'd be able to do, but it's the, we have the technology now that makes it accessible for them and can help them to feel that sense of accomplishment, which is really important. Yeah, there's that, that sense that you created something. Um, yeah. And what's really cool is that can all be done within a single session. So we can kind of move into our populations discussion here a little bit now. Um, I'm working currently with emotionally disturbed youth. And this is 12 to 15 year olds mainly uh, with anxiety and depression. And we've been using uh, beat making to, um, well, for self-expression, but also uh, to give them a coping mechanism, something they can do outside of the music therapy session. You, they kind of learn during, during music therapy, but then they can do this on their own. But um, kind of an example of a session I did recently, I, I walked into the room and within 45 minutes, we had created um, kind of a hip hop track uh, that was in the style that the, that the client uh, preferred. We, we went through several different loops and the client chose uh, their preferred loop and then started recording their own acoustic instruments along with the loop. So uh, one track I think was a, a guiro, which is a scraper instrument and we added some effects to make that sound really cool. Then, uh, then the client decided that the, the next track was gonna be hitting the, the frame drum with a boom whacker. Mm. And so then we added some, some sound effects to that as well and kind of mixed everything together. Uh, you can put the client's voice in as well, uh, as Jensen mentioned. And within, within a period of 45 minutes, we had created this, this song, this, this track that, um, and, and this was a client that really had no previous musical background. So it really did give them a sense of, hey, I can do this. Kevin, are you planning on uh, expanding that intervention to get them to like express themselves via like a songwriting exercise to that song they composed? Well, my, my goal long term is to expand this to um, more of an online group setting since so much of what we're doing right now is, is online. And um, I won't I won't go too deep into that. We've got another group that that's going to be doing a telehealth podcast, so be sure to check that out too. Um, but essentially, all these things that we do in a session, um, you can get access to through a through a free digital audio workstation. I, I've been using Soundtrap, and the nice thing about that is it, it's like Google Docs. You can add someone's email address, and all of a sudden they've got access uh, shared access to this. To this song that you're working on and they can they can go in and add tracks and my thought was um, through groups we could um, we could collaborative collaboratively create music but also uh, then when we're meeting together 
uh, kind of discuss that that music making songwriting process. Mm. Gotcha. Um, that's a very interesting population, Kevin. It's one I don't have really any experience with. Uh, adolescent mental health. Um, I have an internship. I'm hopefully going to get that will work with that population. Um, but I find that very intriguing. Uh, the main population I really want to, you know, work with when I get out of school are adolescents and uh, young adults with autism and Down syndrome. Um, and utilizing music technology with that population, you really have to do it in person. It would be very hard for them to like upload different tracks and stuff. So I've always thought, you know, how can you make the act of music making the most personable it's gonna be with individuals with Down syndrome and autism and technology, I believe is like your secret sauce to making that work. Um, I mean, all children these days are so intrigued and like engulfed in technology that even if it wasn't music-based, they'd still be interested because you have that element of technology, let alone it's easier for them to participate. Um, I just, I don't know. I've had quite a lot of experience working with the uh, autism and Down syndrome population, and I, I know they're very fun to work with, and it's fun to get a lot done with them, but also it's very hard to stay organized and so I think doing some sort of digital recording kind of interpretation experience, experience that you're talking about with recording on Soundtrap or like even recording on Logic can kind of also organize, keep your session on track in a more organized, more organized fashion. Um, I can't wait to work with more like broader depth of clients and be able to utilize technology. I feel like the past year I've been locked away in uh, my house and I just can't wait to do things in person and kind of use some of these things we're talking about today. Um, the population, the population that I'm most interested in is probably adult inpatient um, hospital settings. So a lot of what I've, I don't, I don't have much experience, as I said, with using the technology, but that's where most of my clinical experience has been in the inpatient hospital setting. So most of my knowledge about that comes from readings. So something that comes up a lot is the heartbeat recordings, which I think are just endlessly interesting. I love hearing and reading and talking about them. Um, and then also using the voice and sound recordings to make um, a personalized song for a patient and their family. And I think that is, I think that those kind of things can assist in the grieving process a lot for the family of a terminally ill patient or the patient themselves. And to give them, as I said earlier, a sense of accomplishment. Um, so, Another little vignette that we discussed in an article was a, an older adult patient with her daughter who they were seen just for a 15 minute session, like really quickly and just burned a CD. That was 
CDs are a little outdated now, but that is, that can be updated. You can do different things instead of CDs, but yeah. Um, burning CDs with a patient or their family that can be done really quickly and they can be really personalized. So the patient can really put whatever they want into that. So do you think burning CDs is qualifies as music therapy? Um, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that the act of burning the CD is the therapy. I think that that's just a physical token of that they take from a music therapy session. Um, but I totally forgot what I was going to say. Sorry to throw you off there. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, oh, that here's what I was going to say. Um, I believe that they still do burn CDs for patients at Norton. Um, Kevin, yeah. I know you were there. Yeah, we, I don't... we totally did. <laughs> okay, because I never did that, but I remember that they have that really big CD library, and that's kind of how their music therapy program started, is the CD library. So I think it's really interesting that that's still something that they do. Um, and I think that because Norton specifically sees a lot of older adult patients, and that might be a little more accessible to them they may still have they may still just be using cds cd um players or radios instead of like a an ipod or something like that but yeah i think that the cd recording can be really cool but you can also do something like a digital file or um a recording like that and then another thing at the hospital setting would be forming hospital bands, which I've read a little bit about and we talked to Chris Millet about. So the technology there is kind of being used to record tracks and record everyone's individual parts so that they can listen or practice or play along, whatever the desire is. Um, and then recording those performances so that patients and their families can have that physical token of the experience to uh, remember and relive that momentary experience in the future, which I think is, I think it's very cool that you can take, you can take that one experience and then experience it a few times because you have that, that you can use over and over and over again as you desire. If I'm ever at Norton's, I'm gonna request to have a uh, vinyl record made for me uh i don't want a cd my heartbeat sounds better on vinyl <laughs> <laughs> well all right i um i'm grateful to have heard your all's you know inside into these different populations um i've spent the last year i know we were almost segueing into telehealth but didn't, but I'm going to bring it back for a minute because I spent the last year doing telehealth things, telehealth interventions, telehealth experiences. And it's really made me reevaluate how I'm incorporating technology into my sessions. Um, I know it's not quite exactly music technology, but like utilizing a green screen is something I'm really looking into um, just for like the visual, you know, aspect of you can point 
to different things you want people to interact with. Um, but it, it, it's wild to me how fast technology is progressing as well. The one article I read, the EMPI article, talked about um, different controllers, different like MIDI controllers. And there was one called, I think it was called an accelerator or deaccelerator, where you can have the patient either put their finger on a pad or on a little lever and they can like accelerate the oscillation of a note or pull it back or shift it up and down. Um, yeah, which I think I, you're talking I, about. I think you're talking about an accelerometer. It's like yeah, it's the that, same technology that's in your smartphone. Really? Yeah. So you, you, there are, I think at least for iPhone, there's, there's an app, uh, Sound Gyro, huh. where, where you can manipulate sound simply by turning how you move your phone. How, how would you, Kevin Parr, incorporate that into a music therapy intervention? Well, for example, for, for someone who has no musical experience, you could cue up a song that they like, play that song, and, and allow them to manipulate it simply by moving the phone around. So, so it's still a way of exploring what they can do with music. Uh, maybe they're manipulating volume or adding like a delay effect. Um, so that would be a prime example as technology as the instrument, quote unquote. Yeah, I would say that's technology as an instrument. Yeah. Do you, do either of you all think that holds as much therapeutic value as like singing and playing a guitar with someone? Um, I think that, I think that the technology that you use depends on the situation client to client. Like I am in a practicum currently and um, <laughs> the client is completely nonverbal mm -hmm. and has a, f a few other like physical disabilities. And so the way that he communicates is through um, assist assistive devices. And so we've been using apps on the iPad to make music together. So that's in that way, it's more collaborative collaborative, um, in my opinion. And I think that, I think that it varies situation to situation, but I do think that technology can be used as the instrument and that can be therapeutic. Yeah. I really think it's anything that you do to help the client unlock their, their potential, um, to, to show them that they've, they've got something within them that they can, that they can bring out and, and offer and share Great. with others. Uh, if you if you really want to geek out for a minute, I, I think one thing I'm interested in is the concept of VR. So what mm. what could what could we do musically with VR? So there's this idea of the accelerometer. What if we extended that into the whole VR realm, where you're you're creating music in this VR setting? Maybe you maybe you go from station to station with your VR headset on, and 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 you play different instruments or manipulate sounds in some certain way or maybe you're even performing uh, for, for an audience. I, I don't know that there's, I think there's a lot of different ways it could go. Kevin, does that technology exist yet? Do you know? Not to my knowledge. Because it is mind blowing to think that you could like queue up a session, you and the client both put on your VR gear and then all of a sudden in front of you is like 
a MIDI controlled virtual drum set or like or anything you want or what have you it could be anything but it's also great to think of like what would a virtual reality recording session look like you put your glasses on and you're in there like moving MIDI bars around like it it seems like it's never ending and that that's really exciting I think we've covered the gamut we're happy to have Chris Millett, music therapist, with us today. He has his master's in music therapy from the University of Kentucky. He is currently the music therapy clinic coordinator at the University of Louisville. Uh, prior to that, he worked in a medical setting uh, with both pediatrics and adults. He also has experience in mental health. And he is published in the Journal of Music Therapy and in Imagine Magazine and has self-published his own ukulele ebook, which I have uh, looked at a bit myself. Uh, Chris also has his own podcast called Make More Music, so be sure to check that out as well. Chris, welcome to the MT Cardcast. Thanks. You've done some good digging. There you go. That's good. <laughs> I did just a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Um, could we start maybe just by hearing a little bit about your current role at the clinic? Sure. Um, so as the clinic coordinator, I do a lot of different things. Um, generally it is either supervising or directly providing a lot of, uh, clinical care, music therapy, and that is individuals in the clinic right now with COVID that's some people on the computer, that's some people out at their homes or at facilities. We're still seeing some facilities online, a couple in person, um, and offering some other different things. We've done some special classes over the past year, and um, we're launching a podcast that's going to be related to this podcast uh, series, as well as I get to teach one class right now, and... Um, we have a lot of practicum students and we do intern supervision as a, uh, what's, what's the word that they call that, uh, university affiliated internship. Yeah. So we're not, um, full on AMTA, uh, national roster, but yeah, we've, we do that and that's been healthy, um, ever since I've started and then just other special events with the university, like as things come up, um, and involved in the whole team. So. That's pretty much it. Uh, I think that leaves a le enough caveat for all the random things that come up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do seem to get your hands into just a little bit of everything. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's where the, the randomness comes from, but uh, um, I'm curious, we're curious today in particular about your experience with music and technology. And I first learned of uh, your interest or your expertise in technology through an improv class and uh, some of the some of the technologies that you introduced in that class, but could you tell us uh, where did your interest in music technology begin, and how did that start with you? Hmm. Um, most things in music have come to me not very easily. <laughs> um, I've kind of been like blue collar as far as you know. I went to a high school where I wasn't taught much theory. Um, the only thing that really ever did come 
sort of easy was guitar felt very natural. So for me, my first real diving into music and technology was getting and kind of nerding out with electric guitar and then electric guitar effects. So I had like one of those old um, Digitech multi effects processors that had, I don't know, probably somewhere between 50 to 100 of not very sonically pleasing effects. <laughs> but for me, I could sound closer to Angus Young or closer to Slash and right. to all these guitar. <laughs> Uh, guitar people I was worshiping in middle school. So um, that was definitely the beginning for me. Uh, my friends and I dabbled in stuff like recording, stuff like uh, I tried to put pickups in my own guitar. That didn't end super well. I had to go to Guitar Center with my tail tucked between my legs. <laughs> so um, guitar was kind of my... Uh, gateway drug if you will into technology um and i kind of went along probably pretty normal um to you all in my school time q chord was about as technology as we got um it was all very analog uh, so when i got out into the profession and i started working in hospitals and writing songs and recording songs with patients. Um, that's where I really started to feel like the bite of like, I want to get better at this. I started like very beginning of using MIDI controllers uh, and very basic stuff, just like how do I program a drum beat? And then how does that drum beat, beat not sound super cheesy? And um as you can see, my personality is very like jack of all trades, master of none. So I like to learn and get kind of obsessed about something for a while and learn quite a bit about something. And uh, recording has been like one of the things I've dove the most deep in. Uh, I was able to take audio engineering and sound design since I've started working here. So that and the whole gear and the audio engineering, Anthony and I have talked a lot about that kind of stuff because he has a background in that as well. So that has made me more advanced at stuff like in beat making and um, wanting to take these clients' songs and things that they're doing and make them better than just what I had done on GarageBand before. It was awesome. Clients still loved them, but I was like, I mean, they deserve to have aesthetically high quality stuff too, if they want to do that. Sure. And it's not always the most important thing at all, like therapeutically, but um, I felt like if I could scaffold that for people and as make my musicality keep growing and um, be able to be really assistive, I would love to like, be able to be helpful and help somebody navigate through that and walk them through that. And that's been something the past year that's been cool is with uh, a couple of our facilities with teens in foster care, we've been doing music kind of production lessons with them and they're learning how to make, take their songs and their rap lyrics that are like scribbled on paper and like, let's actually make a beat. Like let's actually make, even if it's just, Hey, how can we arrange loops? And okay. So you've got these loops, 
look at all these effects and just showing them like very basic stuff like here's a delay 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 and <laughs> showing them a little bit about that so nothing too crazy um but my my mindset with like teens and um adolescents and things like that is like can i help them get the bug can i make this something that they want to go do their own research on yeah, well, interestingly, <laughs> you've kind of done that for music therapy students as well. You, you lit a spark with me, and Anthony kind of did the same thing. I don't know whether he knows that, but through a class project we shared earlier this semester, he sent me some beats, and I was a little uncomfortable at first. What do I what do? I do? So I feel like I'm in that place where where you said you were in the past. You're, you're getting comfortable with, uh, with maybe a digital audio workstation, trying to figure out how can I take it to the next level. Sure. So what... Uh, what advice would you have for, for students who, who maybe have dabbled a little, but want to go a little deeper? Um, it's the same kind of stuff that you'll hear on pretty much any website or blogs or from other professionals or things like that. But nowadays it's so easy to learn like anything on YouTube. The only problem is there is just so much out there. So I think what's been helpful for me is trying to find a few people that I can trust. Sure. Whether that's a YouTuber that I'm never going to talk to or someone like, you know, Dr. Ritz or, um, you know, a friend that I know that their music sounds great or stuff that they've worked on is sound great. Just trying to find like, <laughs> and then have a few different people and then, uh, just be aware of how much you bug each individual person. Like maybe after I bug them quite a bit, I can move on to something <laughs> so I don't tap the well too dry. Um, but a lot of people like to talk about these kind of things, you know, um, they've done their work. So I would say finding like mentors or mentor like things. And then the most important thing, it's the same with like learning how to write music and, uh, getting better at an instrument. You just got to do it and put stuff out there and fail and be super frustrated <laughs> and it's not all going to work. Or for me, my problem is always, I'm really slow at like everything. I'm just, okay. the older I get, the more I realize how slow I am. And uh, so for me, it's like, speed it up, man, speed it up, speed it up. So <laughs> the more you do it, the faster you get. Uh, so that's not, that translates to every aspect of my life, not just <laughs> anything to do with music technology. I'm just, I feel that a little bit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, for sure. Chris, clearly technology has had a great impact on your career as a music therapist. Mm -hmm. um, do you mind sharing some memorable experience you may have had involving technology in some of your music therapy sessions? Hmm. Let me think for just a second about a few highlights. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's a few. Um, well now it's funny living back in Louisville because when I was working in Orlando, I had a mutual friend, Brian Shrek's a mutual colleague and learning how to do the heartbeat recording style things was, has been huge because, and that was something I really wanted to dive into because 
I didn't want these people's heartbeat recordings to sound like crap, right? Like of all songs, I wanted these to be, if I'm giving my aesthetic self to it, I'm going to try and give my best aesthetic self. Like I said, you are, you are who you are when you're there. So it's always going to be a snapshot of the past, but I wanted to at least, if I'm contributing, I want to contribute to the best I can. And I don't, feel like it's necessary to, to do that with, you know, something that a family member is recording. And you also shouldn't try to be intimidating to like someone. But if I can bring something that is as high quality as I can bring, like this is, these are the kind of things that are played at people's funerals that are kept for a long time. So I just try to be like super honoring to that. Um, so probably one of the coolest, there's a couple that come to mind though. So with that like heartbeat recordings, something that was super meaningful to me is I was playing around and this happened totally by accident. So there was a, a little boy I worked with who um, had a language barrier, came from Mexico and hardly spoke any English. And uh, I think I was at a loss of like what to do at some days. And I had my iPad and I was like, here's a garage band. Let's do stuff. I can't. And we made some loops a few different days and they were like kind of rocking techno ish, uh, really like happy house sounding beats. And uh, we made those. And then there was another day that in the hospital, I was really partnered with child life a lot and they had a Halloween day we were seventh day Adventist hospital. So it was like a fall festival. It was not a Halloween day, <laughs> but, um, that I had sampled a bunch of different recordings of him and his brother making sounds like ghosts and wolves and uh, goofy, like, uh, sound. We like sampled the door creaking <laughs> like spooky things. And we made this spooky song to play at, like on loop at the, at the Paul festival. So that was fun. So I had all these recordings and then unfortunately that little guy ended up passing away, but I had all these recordings. I didn't know what to do with them. They were all disparate, but I was like, I feel like the family needs to have these things. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the first times I spent a long time doing that, but I made this composition using pretty much only the stuff that we had come up with. I don't really think I added all that much, but I sampled, you know, his voice, hola, hola, hola. So I had like these funny things. I made this like funny techno song and that was super meaningful for me uh, as well as for the family. And uh, for me, it was what I realized in that process too, was this can be an act of like closure and therapeutic work for me as well in that processing of grief and things that are going on. So mm -hmm. uh, acknowledging that kind of like grief and transference, it helped me to do something productive with it. And like, I had all these things, otherwise I'm going to look at them every time on my iPad or delete them and feel bad and guilty. Right. It's like, I can at least do something with it. So that was, that was special. Another thing that I did with recording that was super special at the hospital was um, uh, we had a band that we made for, there was a, we did a prom for the kids. 
uh, especially like the oncology kids, because kind of like COVID, their immune systems were are super low and they like couldn't go back to school, some of them, even if they were cancer free, they had a bone marrow transplant and they're 16 or 17 and they're not going back to their senior prom, uh, even if they are healthy. So uh, we would do a prom and one year we made a band, which was super fun. Um, so the gear nerd in me got excited because I had a few pedal companies and Ernie Ball and JHS and I can't remember. There was a couple uh, guitar center. They all donated instruments and pedals. And so I got to like, all right, 16 year old, this is a guitar pedal. And I got to show them like, this is a compressor. So it was cool getting all these people to play synth and guitar, electric guitar and trumpet and drums. And, um, and we recorded tracks so that they could practice to them. So that was what I did like on the technology component side, as well as uh, recording different parts for them, recording the performance. So none of it, it was all pretty crude. Um, I didn't really have any mixing skills or anything at that time. And I just went with it. Um, and that was super fun, uh, both with in the box, like computer skills, as well as like tech, simple things like here's a compressor, here's what it does. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Well, you, you mentioned the the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. We were talking, our group was talking a few days ago, and Jensen actually brought up the question about how how that works. Like, how do, what do you use to capture a, a heartbeat, uh, to, to make a heartbeat song? Sure. Is it a stethoscope? Is it a microphone? What do you, how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other follow-up things you want to know, Jensen? Um, I guess what I was wondering about that is I tried to kind of find some information about how they make them or how they record that, but um, all I could really find was kind of DIYs of um, like microphone stethoscopes, so I guess I would be interested to know if that's something that you've done, mm-hmm. um, like done a DIY or like what you do to record those. Sure. There's a couple different ways. Um, so Brian actually taught me so, and taught us as a team. So this is Brian Shrek approved stuff, right? <laughs> and um, what we did was buy a little, I think it was about $80, a Rode lavalier mic. Um and then we ended up buying a Littman uh, stethoscope. It's like, what is that word? <laughs> a Littman stethoscopes, which that is about $200. Uh, we tried to use one of the cheap ones on the unit, but the tube was too small. So it that didn't work. So it was DIY. So basically about, uh, so there's the bell. That's the little part that, you hear the heartbeat or the breath you go up a few inches you snip that which you're like here it goes two hundred dollars you snip that and then you just gently wiggle that bad boy in there um and test it and that little lavalier mic i think it just had like a eighth inch eight inch jack so it like went straight into the ipad and we would take the iPad or the computer and um, you still have to be kind of sensitive 
in the room of making noise. So you have to try and tell people to be as quiet as possible. So that's where like the, the theory, uh, of what the, of the purpose, the humanistic kind of purpose of that is, because if you're trying to get this super discreet sound of this heartbeat, but this person is in the ICU and there's all kinds of monitors and beeps going on, um, do you incorporate that or do you not? Um, because on one hand, you know, could that be maybe like triggering? Could that be traumatic possibly, but the other possibly like you're taking a snapshot of a discrete period of time. Uh, so typically what we did, you can go about it two ways after that. You can either take that, find one really good sample of a heartbeat. So love dub, love dub. Uh, and once you have that little snapshot, you could sample it and play it on a keyboard over and over. Uh, or you could find a good loop of like four figure out roughly what tempo it is and then change the tempo on the song and then just drag it and loop it. Uh, that part is a little bit more tedious, um, but the other one involves you having to know how to use the like Apple sampler. So they're both tedious to some aspect, but the sample is easier once you learn how to do it. Um, the other trick to that is uh, simple EQ stuff like, high and low pass filtering. So you're basically taking, if the, all the sound is like this and you're getting sound over the whole room, over the whole frequency spectrum, you basically cut off the high and you scoop the low just a little bit. You still, cause it's low, you don't want to cut it all away, but you don't need the room noise of below, you know, like 20 or 30 Hertz and you EQ it a lot like a kick drum. So you're looking in that like 40 to 80 Hertz, range and just kind of boosting it till it sounds like um yeah and then you you loop it and then you could do it a few different ways i've seen people take recorded music and like with the sampler like play along to a favorite song like uh what i typically did was record a version of us doing a song or improvise with it uh, with the heartbeat. Um, that was like the most common sometimes songwriting with with that as well. That's actually really interesting. I had not considered all that work would go into a heartbeat song. I, I was thinking in my head, you just record it and put it with the song, but maybe the patient's heart doesn't beat to a metronome. I never even thought about looping it and and all the processing that you're doing on it. So that's, and then the stressful thing like that, like if you take a baby's heartbeat, it might be really fast, but that's going to sound like stressful if you're sure. <laughs> song. but then it's like, do I slow it down or what? Like, what do I do? So you have to make a lot of those, like, you know, kind of ethical decisions about manipulating sound, uh, which is a weird thing to think about. Not even like any, not many other, even audio engineers would be that worried about that. Um, because it's like a weird connection to self because the heart means so much more than just an organ pumping blood. It's symbolizing a lot. Um, so, which is why it's so special to get a heartbeat recording. You made some reference to, to culture and, and working in Orlando mm -hmm. and 
I, I imagine that you you had a, a diverse array of cultures that, that you worked with mm-hmm. um, there. And you, you mentioned, I think, Happy House, mm-hmm. uh, a, a beat. So there's a lot that goes into um, just understanding it w- within hip hop music, for example. I, I don't know what Happy House is from from East Coast, from West Coast or whatever. Yeah. Um, so could, could you tell me how how culture played a role in uh, or how technology played a role in working with um, different cultures other than the example that you, mm. you already shared? Um, yeah, I think what's interesting is when you, you've got music, you've got culture and technology in this, in this conversation and all of those have their own different culture, like play culture plays on all of those things, not just geography, not just true, not just technology, but then there is also music technology that is embedded in culture, like 808s, like, um, like different things like that, that I'm not even like super versed on, um, per se, but I know enough to be dangerous. And so it's interesting because so many instruments or brands or types of uh types of music technology have their own history embedded in them too and there's not really time like there's hardly time to talk about these things in undergrad at all right like we barely scratch the surface and then much less you might learn how to play around with a midi controller but like understanding the you know why is a compu rhythm uh, you know, attached to disco and why is an 808 attached to like 80s, uh, 80s hip hop and why, you know, because each of these things that we use in GarageBand, for example, GarageBand samples a lot of these different or like gets in the style of a lot of different like drum machines and things like that, that all were generally like linked with specific genres of music. And as you all know, specific genres of music usually have specific cultural heritage as, as well. So um, you all, I think, mentioned to me that Alex Crook article. Right, right. He, he has a great um, YouTube video with Mike Viega, who is another like super great asset to this conversation, um, talking about the history uh, and politics of music technology. Because um, then you I, get into like, you know, you know, dub and reggae and um you know what were the people using in old rock music and that's why that's why i think people are starting to realize and a lot of universities are starting to realize like oh we can't just tell them to be air quote authentic and that means sure sound like johnny cash or kind of sound like john denver we're recognizing that there needs to be like postmodern ways to think about what we do in music therapy because it's impossible, right? It's impossible to, to keep up. It's not like there's anybody that can actually keep up. So it really then means, okay, what do I do? Um, and how do I serve people? And for me, I think it's always being humble. So to get back to the beginning of the conversation of like, try and be curious and ask 
uh, I was just talking to one of our interns about this last week is even in uh, senior living settings, I try to like, okay, I have this song in my songbook. Who sang it? What year did they sing it? What are they singing about in the song? What is the context of their life? Which is really easy to do when you start with like a sliver of things that maybe you feel more comfortable with. So old country or folk or, you know, whatever genres you already sort of know, right? Uh, so it's e- it might be easy to learn a bunch of things about the Beatles and right, they're super documented. Like it's easy to learn, oh, uh, you know, Paul and John were fighting at this point. And, uh, you know, this song was written for, you know, Julian, his son. And, you know, like it's easy to learn those fun facts about the Beatles, but it gets, you have to do a, do a little bit more and be a little bit more intentional um, because otherwise you can make it really appropriating and be really like, here's my hip hop beat. Right. Right. Like, right. right. Uh, also while recognizing like, I'm a white dude in Kentucky. Like, so you have to recognize the barriers uh, as well because, you know, there we're still, it's very clear, you know, the past week, there've been more racially charged incidences in America. Uh, you would have to be ignorant to, to not realize that there are issues. And, um, you know, I have a responsibility with my privilege to not try to bulldoze into situations and to appropriate and to, um, yeah, bulldoze basically. So try and be humble and learn and, um, happy hardcore or happy house is a EDM genre. So EDM is a whole nother world with a whole nother subcultures, thousands and thousands of subcultures and, um, I think that's what blew my mind about the, I did take a look at the Crook and Viega video and I just realized how much I don't really know and understand when you get into some of these cultures and subcultures. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it kind of blows my mind that within uh, a DAW like Garage Band with just the, even the free Mm -hmm. uh, loops that, that, are available to you there, there's so much that you have access to mm-hmm. and uh, to your point we don't get a lot of exposure to that in our in our undergraduate studies it's like where do you even begin so for myself i've just been going through and just playing different beats and yep and trying different things with it and see, seeing what happens but but i'm not sure when i walk into a client setting necessarily what to do with that and i feel like i have to let them kind of lead the show yeah i don't know what do you all think i'm curious what your thoughts are on cross genre combining things like for instance like you are my sunshine but with a hip-hop beat or like making Mm -hmm. something jazzier what's your view on all that um well no nothing is sacred in my opinion so I think it's totally cool. And I think um, that's something that is also mellowed out, uh, mellowed out in me from like being this like judgmental teenager who was into like, you know, uh, what, what was a word that we called it? Like, I don't know, like pure metal. I was into like the metal, but we were so judgy of other types of metal. And Purist. yeah, yeah. Very much like man of war and like all this stuff. So um I, 
as I started to work with more and more people that were connecting with music that like, for example, right, like I'm working in the hospital, I'm like, wow, this person is like really, really connecting with like this Nickelback song. And in my mind, as a like 18 year old, I would have been like, stupid, like, I would have thought something like, that's awful. And then I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm like, it's what they're connecting to, like, what an idiotic and arrogant thing of me to like, care. And it's like, they've sold millions and millions of records, like they don't care. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're laughing all the way to the bank. Right. So it's, um, I think that so oh, what was it called? I think it was called Swing Hop. I had a a person in Orlando that really liked we did a lot of sampling of like big band samples over like lo-fi hip hop beats, which was super cool. Uh, and we ended up doing like a sample and a lyric rewrite using um, what was that song? Um, not not big band, but a change is gonna come. Uh, we did that one, and that was about like processing childhood cancer, and you know, I, lyrics were things like "I'm afraid to die," uh, things that are going on. So, with like a different beat and you know, learning to play the guitar along with it, it was kind of like a big wraparound project. So, I think it's super cool. And one grant we put in for this year that fingers crossed, I'm, I'm hopeful is doing these programs with this really cool organization in town called Rhythm Science Sound. They do a lot of things where they, um, it's called like sample here. So they sample sounds from communities, whether it's like Louisville as a big community or like Smoketown neighborhood. And we were doing another grant with them to even try to talk about bringing bluegrass music and Appalachian music uh, talking about its uh, African and African-American roots and Caribbean roots uh, to kind of refresh and revitalize that for like, if I took a bunch of bluegrass songs to some of the teens I work with, they'd be like, okay, redneck, right? Like, <laughs> But um, if we could sample it and like do some cool things like, uh, you superimpose different EDM genres with it and stuff. And um, so that was something we've like actually been thinking about is like, how could we make that accessible? Um, I'm wondering if there's any other, I haven't done like too much of it too, too much, but I'm, like I said, I don't feel like as a music therapist, I, I have the view that no, like music is sacred in a way that like, if we want to manipulate it, that's our tools to use. And that if that empowers some client to be super expressive, awesome. So whether that's chopping up a song and sampling it um, to do different things with it, or just, you know, thinking of it like a cover, right? Like, okay, Johnny Cash is covering Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, right? Like, right turns out to be an amazing cover, right? <laughs> you know, so I don't think, uh, I don't think it helps us to hold on to musical prejudices because that's just another bias that we're walking into the door with that um, typically, if I can eliminate as much prejudice or bias 
in my life as possible, that's probably for the best, right? So it's always going to be there and bias and prejudice is always sneaking around doors. So I think anytime you can try to shatter it um, and recognize it for what it is, tends to be super helpful. For sure. For sure. Uh, Trying to get back to the tech side of things. Do you mind giving us a little more insight as to what some of your go-to devices or tech tools are that you generally will utilize in a session? Go-to. In the hospital, I mean, I have an iPad. Like low tech is I have an iPad with OnSong, and that is my... um, that is my like go-to of it has GarageBand, it has OnSong, it has a few other apps on there. So those are like the low-hanging fruit, easy things. Um, GarageBand and Soundtrap are other two DAWs that I like to use a lot. Soundtrap works really great just because I can work with someone remotely, or if they have a Windows device, they can use that. Um, GarageBand can be prohibitive uh, because of that. Um, other devices I'm using a lot regularly now would be an interface and a mic. Um, and then professionally or like as a hobby, I've gotten a lot into like learning Pro Tools, using a MIDI controller, um, learning a lot about plugins. Um, I'm trying to think though on like a regular day to day those are probably a lot. And then like other things would be um, more just like instrument technology and not even being afraid. Cause I think a lot of music therapists are even afraid to use anything that plugs in. So even as simple as like a keyboard, even as simple as an electric guitar, uh, not being afraid to like not only use acoustic items. So not being afraid to get your hands dirty with technology pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you're going to feel stupid at the beginning. Like, it's okay. Like, and it's going to fail. So plan a little extra time for it to not work or have a backup. Uh, Because it'll happen frequently. You'll you'll have practiced it and it'll still fail. (laughs) So what are you going to do when that happens? So have a backup plan. Um, Okay, I think to kind of wrap things up, we were just, we were wanting to know... um, what your thoughts are and what you see in the current trends and where technology is kind of heading in music therapy? Um, Well, it seems like more and more people are interested in it every day. And there are a lot of people who are a lot more talented than me that are doing a lot of really cool things. So most of the time I'm really just like trying to take notice of what other people are doing. So, um, I think a big trend is like schools doing more during their education, hopefully so that people are literally, I think the best thing they could do is make people not afraid to try things because there's not time to do it all. So at least give people like, like I said, the bug. Um, I think clearly everybody is learning how to use like basic telehealth stuff now, or at least aware that that could be an issue. Um, so hopefully recording and remote things like that is a trend. Um, and as more and more music becomes processed in unanalog ways, 
I think learning how to use simple devices like MIDI controllers, uh, beat pads, um, and things like that. So the pianists in the crowd are having a renaissance <laughs> because they can play their MIDI controllers and it's not just like guitars all the time. Um, I think those are good. And I would definitely say the main resource that I've been super grateful to help out with, with a lot of those cool people is the Technook, and that is technook.co. And um, my friend, Gabby Banson is a music therapist in Georgia and she's head that up. And the whole plan is she gets a bunch of people that know a lot of different things about music and technology that could help therapists. And they've put together a bunch of videos and free guides and uh, things like that. So the tech nook is like a great place for people to put their eyes on to learn more things. And like, like we say, get more dangerous, <laughs> but also learn it from a music therapist who might have slightly closer to uh, applications that would help you immediately rather than looking on YouTube, you might have to filter through a lot of things that might not have to do with what you're immediately looking for. So hopefully catching up to what the rest of the music world is doing, I would hope is what the therapy world would do. Well, thank you. Um, this has been a really valuable conversation and thank you for giving us those resources i think those will be really valuable for us and also for our um classmates who are going to be listening to our podcast i think that we can all really learn a lot from those well good chat y'all i appreciate you all too yes thank you thank you chris this was great cool all right we'd like to thank everybody for listening in today on our discussion on music and technology uh, it's been a thrill to have Chris Millett with us as well. So thank you, Chris, for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, we hope you tune in next time for the, for the telehealth conversation as well. And we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.